A big week in independent league baseball. We have the first of all the new affiliations to drop. You're going to want to listen to this episode of the Indie Ball Report podcast. back again episode number i think this is 88 at this point and uh it's a good thing that nothing happened at all this week it's a very easy to do week uh very easy we should probably be in and out in about an hour you know and thank god we got an interview otherwise i'm not sure we could even meet that hour um you know of course nothing would have happened friday night midday saturday that would change that of course and you know, it's a nice, easy to do week. Uh, you know, Nick, I, I, I've heard through the grapevine that the uh, Somerset Patriots might be out of the Atlantic League. Oh yeah, that's so. Yeah. Oh. No, I mean, I, I didn't believe it at first either, but I, I, I think it's true. Oh yeah, like, I, I think well, we have more stuff to talk about now. Oh, that that certainly would be something. But I that know if be they something. were to become affiliated, and if, of course, they were to say affiliate with an organization like the New York Yankees, that's you know very well thought of in baseball and really in business too. Uh, they certainly wouldn't notify whether affiliates are being cut on uh, social media or anything like that. They, yeah, I mean, why, why, why wouldn't they do that? That would just make sense. Like, you wouldn't want to have them learn through Twitter or something. I know. That would be extremely unprofessional and, and, quite frankly, just rude. And Quite frankly, if I was, say, I don't know, like maybe the Trenton Thunder or Stan Island, I would have to release an extremely strong-worded statement, something to the effect of they feel stabbed in the back in the 11th hour there's something like that but you know you could release a strong worded statement yes but could you also uh i mean you'd be happy to take a spot in the atlantic league you would think right well maybe i was stan island but certainly not if i was the trenton thunder i wouldn't want any sort of consolation prize at all ah okay all right that's fair exactly I mean, like, it's fine for them, but, you know, we're just a little bit better than that. Yeah, pretty much. So if you couldn't catch on here, yeah, Somerset became affiliated. Once again, once we finished recording, once again, the timing that we do this show is just immaculate. And I half expect that once we finish recording this today at, like, 4 o'clock or something, Sugarland will go, and then, like, St. Paul shortly thereafter. Or maybe they'll just drop... All the affiliates today. I heard that rumored around. Uh, so we have that to talk about too. And also uh, everything we may have been alluding to there. Uh, that uh, that all is a, a set in stone thing. And once we get to talking about all the Somerset news. Uh, we'll read each of the statements from the Yankees, Trenton, Staten Island. And of course Somerset as well. Uh, so you can look forward to that but first we do have an interview that we want to share with you uh, as always we get to the interviews first on this show and this week we have pete fish the president of the high point rockers it's a very good interview and it's definitely worth the listen here so you should tune in for that alone but we do have somerset talk and also the american association did some stuff this week too so uh, that's going to get the uh the last spot of the show as well so i guess with that after teasing the somerset segment i guess we'll toss it to the pete fish interview which 
before we go into it, I do want to say there's a lot of interesting points he makes throughout this interview. A little bit comparing how most of minor league baseball, independent or otherwise, works and then how high point is. There's a couple of things I found very, very interesting that he said. Uh, especially one thing pertaining to how the team is ran. And then there's a, there's a handful of other things that I thought were extremely interesting. And, uh, we're certainly going to talk about once you finish listening to this interview. But, uh, with all that said, I suppose I should throw it now to High Point Rockers president, Pete Fish. All right, we are back and we continue our series of interviews this week with top front office executive in the Atlantic League. Uh, he is rather new, I suppose you could say, to the Atlantic League, but not new to minor league baseball, especially in the state of North Carolina. We now welcome to the show the president of the High Point Rockers, Pete Fish. How's it going today? Doing well. Beautiful day in High Point. We should be playing baseball. <laughs> I can say the same thing about being in northern New Jersey or two. It's it's so odd having like seventy degrees in the beginning of November. Yeah, it just it, it teases you for for what could have been a twenty twenty season and for hopefully what lies ahead. Exactly. And I guess with that uh, we can kinda hit the ground running there. Uh you t- you actually got the position just the what was it, about a week or so before this whole pandemic really started uh flaring up in the US. So I'm just kind of interested to know how that first couple of weeks was adjusting to a position in high point while having a hundred year pandemic hit the United States. Well, I, I they announced me on Monday, March ninth and the following Tuesday well, that follow that Friday they shut down the schools, and then that following Tuesday they shut down restaurants, and then it was all downhill from there. So I wasn't even here, really. I was here less than a week when things started going south from the standpoint of uh, what we could and couldn't do. So not only was I dealing with a new position and trying to figure out how this works, I was dealing with a new staff that I was trying to determine how we were going to operate, how we were going to operate remotely when I didn't even know all of them completely yet. So Hmm. um, it was a challenge to say the least, but it's taught us a lot of things that I think are going to make us better as we go forward. Exactly. And I know one of the people I listen to a lot is actually the commissioner of the American Association. He said, when you face challenges like these, you what you look for is you go, thank God this happened. Otherwise, we wouldn't have known to do this. So I guess with someone in your position, the question I have is, what are some of those things where you said, it's a good thing we faced a challenge because now we know about this innovation? Well, I, I think one thing the the pandemic has forced us all to be more creative and be more efficient in our operation. It's forced us to look internally at every agreement we have, every vendor contract we have, every relationship we have, and to see how does that operate, how is it going to continue to operate, and what's the value value of that. It's also caused us to become uh, you know, for me to become more transparent with my staff, I've involved them in more of the day-to-day operations just so they can see how important that one little season ticket holder is to the whole operation or how important a certain sponsor is or a certain promotion or things like that. So it's allowed us to um, 
everybody to become more efficient and become more accountable for the jobs they're doing within our organization. One thing I've said all along with this pandemic, we're going to have three types of changes. We're going to have short-term changes, we're going to have long-term changes, and we're going to have permanent changes. Now, our staff knows how to kind of adapt to those three levels of changes as we as we go along with things. From the creative end, too, we've had to figure out how month-to-month to make ends meet and to make sure we're getting to the next month. And that has involved tremendously creative ideas that, that on the, well, on the creativity scale, they may seem pretty simple, but why didn't we think of it sooner if it's, if it's working? And so it's something, it's different things we're doing to really keep this operation viable, not only as a team, but as a community entity. Exactly. When you work in particularly minor league sports, it's all about engaging that community and getting ingrained in that community. And I'm just now curious here because you've been mentioning all these different things here. Uh, If there are specific examples of types of events that you're going to look to the future to try and include at the ballpark and with the team and and other various uh, attempts to try and get people into the gate or just really get involved in the community and make the Rockers baseball organization a staple in that greater High Point area? Well, one thing, you know, everything we're doing is to create exposure and brand awareness and let people know we're here. Uh, High Point didn't have, hasn't had professional baseball since 1969. 2019 was the first season since then. Um, in all the years of minor league baseball, High Point's only had a team for 28 years. So there's not a lot of history there. So we're coming into it fresh and trying to build those things compared to our neighbors in, in Winston. They've had baseball for 105 years and consecutively since 1945. And Greensboro's had it for 92 seasons since 1902. Big difference. So everything we're doing is creating brand awareness and creating a, uh, exposure for us so we can introduce people to what we do here. So what we did this year with not having baseball, we've hosted over 250 amateur games out at the stadium, uh, all different levels. Most of them were without fans early on. Then it was 25 fans and then it was 50 fans and then it was a hundred fans. So it's changed based upon the governor's mandates, but we've exposed a level of youth baseball from throughout the region to this facility. Now, granted, we have a turf field, so we can do that where others others have maintenance involved with that. We've hosted blood drives. We've hosted uh, yoga on the field. We've hosted, um, gosh, uh, we had, we've had charity softball game. We've started hosting um, girls fast pitch softball, which is something we hadn't gotten into until the pandemic forced us to try to fill some other weekends with something like that. And uh, so we've we've tried to step outside the box. And like I said, not all of them are tremendously creative ideas, but there's something, there's a reason why we weren't doing them. And I think it was people weren't as hungry to do things like this. And now that we've been forced to do events like this almost, we found a whole new niche for ourselves that we're not just a baseball stadium. We're a multi-purpose stadium, multi-purpose facility for the entire community. And we've got our first comedy show coming up in a couple weeks we've got rob schneider from uh uh you know formerly of saturday night live and an actor he's going to be out here it's it's a socially distant limited capacity uh event 
But I would have never thought about that a year ago. And the comedy folks would have never thought about that a year ago. But everybody's having to adapt to that. Tremendous. I mean, Rob Schneider is especially a big name, and it does show a lot of that adaptability, which, especially in this industry, is extremely important in surviving. And I do feel like I'm I'm monopolizing the time a little bit too much here, so I'm going to throw over to my co-host Will now to uh, to get some questions in here, so uh, I don't feel like I'm hogging all the time. <laughs> so, so Pete, on a personal level, uh, obviously you have a lot of experience in minor league baseball, uh, like Nick was mentioning in in the intro. So what what really attracted you uh, to the high point job? Well, what what really drew what really drew you to uh, to working in independent league baseball and, and in high point specifically? Well, you know, just to backtrack a little bit, I've been in in the sports industry for over thirty years, and I started in minor league baseball with the Columbus Mudcats of the Southern League before they became the Carolina Mudcats down in Columbus, Georgia. So it's always been in my blood. I was there. I was in, I was in, uh, Zebulon with the Carolina Mudcats. I was in Hickory. I was, uh, vice president, general manager of the Winston Salem club for about 10 years. Uh, worked some in Charlotte. So I've, baseball's been in my blood. Um, I got out of that and worked in professional golf and, and worked at also at Wake Forest University as an associate AD. And I, I enjoyed that, but baseball, there was always a tug. That was what I was meant to do and this opportunity actually came available back in september of 19 and i thought about pursuing it and then i said no you know i'm going to stick what doing what i'm doing uh time went on and i saw that it came up again and uh made a few contacts here and there and you know next thing you know i'm interviewing with the the board and what really drew me to it is this organization operates as a nonprofit uh, 501c3 so you're not answering to an owner you're not answering to one guy who's invested his life savings in this that could come or go based upon the weather age uh, family interests and so on you're dealing with a nonprofit that is a rotating board and that's what's unique about this club it's designed to be a community entity like we all say we should this is designed to be a community entity and was actually brought in as a catalyst for downtown development. And if this was a virtual call, I could show you the, the uh, equipment moving outside the outfield wall, the dirt being moved, the structures being built, and eventually this will have served its purpose as developing downtown in High Point as the destination. And so, so that really drew it to me in the the folks here are uh, are genuinely interested in making this team successful for the city, and that that was important to me. So just to just to clarify, you said that uh, the Rock is kind of act as, as a nonprofit. Is that is that um, is that different from a lot of other minor league organizations, and definitely ones that you've been affiliated with as well? Yeah, most of the ones, well, all of the ones I've been affiliated with have acted as a for-profit business. And, um, you know, so it was an individual owner or an ownership group that bought the team, invested in the team, operated the team, and, you know, depending on sometimes they'd hold on to it, sometimes they'd sell the team. In this case, the community, the community foundation was formed to raise money to purchase the team and upon purchasing the team, the team 
has been set up, like I said, as a 501c3 nonprofit. So we're not operating for personal gain. We're operating for community, the good of the community. That's really that's really interesting. I I, I never knew that. So that th- I, I guess um I guess yeah that that's definitely really interesting to me. So yeah, Nick, I'll, I'll throw it over to you. But that's I I never knew that to be to be yeah, honest. And and uh, the the team in Memphis, and I'm not sure if they still do, but at one point the Memphis Redbirds operated as a 501c3 as well. the The end goal will be that any profits made. Um, you know, we'll be we'll be we'll we'll be donating money back to the community. We'll have programs set up. We'll have um, different funds set up that will assist in the community. We're still getting to that point because obviously 2019 and getting the stadium open, that's where the focus was. And you come off of that season, you have your off season, and next thing you know, you're hit with a pandemic. So we're we're still trying to just you know get our footing. But that's the end goal of, of this operation in this organization. Yeah, the, the High Point Rockers seem like the, the model team when you say this is a when you bring a team in, you want it to be something the community rallies behind that it's a symbiotic relationship between both the team and the, and the people that live around the team. And uh, knowing now that they, they operate like that is definitely something that's new to me and certainly uh, something wonderful to know. But. I, I do want to just go back quickly to something you said when you were at Wake Forest. And obviously, uh, to a lot of people, when you think of the city of High Point, you think of the university in town. And I was just kind of wondering, partially, uh, do you, as the president of the team, try to get the university involved in any particular way? And if so, does any time that you spend at Wake Forest kind of help you uh kind of engaging either that younger kind of college student crowd or just in relationship with the local school or uh, anything like that? High Point University as a whole is one of our biggest partners. Um, They were a a driving force behind this project because they know that when you can add something like a minor league baseball team to your city in a new stadium, it improves the quality of life. It improves the quality of life for their students. It makes it more attractive for anybody to be here, whether it's a student, whether it's a recently graduated college student uh, or someone moving into the area for a job makes it more attractive. So we're, we're working with High Point now. I've actually, since I've gotten here, have talked to several students who are forming kind of a on-campus uh, task force, for lack of a better term, that's going to help us know what would make this more attractive to, to high point students. One disadvantage we have is that our season starts right as the school year's ending. Mm. Uh, this year we were scheduled to start April 30th, and that's right at the very end of classes as they're preparing for exams, graduation, and so on. Um, but we start back when they're getting back. So we're working on how we can work better, not just with the university as a whole, but working with the students to make sure when they're thinking of things to do in town, this is something they're thinking of to do. And, uh, you know, whether it's accepting high point meal plan dollars here or, um, you know, different things like that. That's why I, I don't, I'm so far removed from college. I'm not going to be able to touch upon those things, but when I can get folks from their sport management program that are interested in um, helping us that they know the hot buttons for the students 
And, you know, that's the way to go instead of us trying to think we know what they want. Yeah, I guess the people that know better than you follow by the words of the people that would know an area of expertise better than, than exactly. you would. That's the key to successful leadership there. And I do want to continue on the, the trend of experience at the ballpark because that is something that is obviously critical. And I'm very curious to know what your ideal baseball experience would be uh, from the minute that you arrive at the ballpark to the minute that you head back to the car or, or leave the ballpark itself. Well, one thing I, I think in minor league baseball, I think a lot of your larger cities, larger teams have become a little more corporate, a little more mm-hmm. disingenuine with their approach. And I'm not saying it's bad. It's just we want to remain. We want to be um, we want to be still be that small market team that does really well. You know, I want I want all of us to be involved with our fans. I want us to know who they are. I want us. I want to know who's coming through the gate, um, and give them an experience that they're going to remember. Now, in our market, we have two other minor league teams within, you know, within 20 minutes either way, and and that's okay. We can all coexist, but we have to offer something different than them. And I'm not saying what we're going to offer necessarily is always going to be better, but it needs to be different. There has to be a niche that we we appeal to, and. 2019 gave us a good, and again, I wasn't here for 19, but it was a good test year. If there's any silver lining to 20, it allows 19 to be a test year, and we'll start our, you know, we'll reboot for 21, and that will almost be like our first season. So we're going back now to really look at the experience to see, did people get value out of what we gave them? And that could be value in in monetary terms of how much they paid or did they get value for what they paid? You know, I'm I'm a I'm a believer that there's got to be um, you don't have to give it away, but I think we still have to fill that niche as affordable entertainment and something that um, people will will come out to on a on a regular basis. Um, and we also we we didn't tend to expand our market out very much. We did not go into Greensboro, really, and we did not go into Winston-Salem. And again, not saying we're going into Winston or Greensboro head-to-head to try to compete with them, but there are people that want to go to see a different level of baseball or see a different stadium or just experience a different ballpark experience. And that's what we're, that's what we're looking to, to do is to expand our reach in that sense. And I imagine now with the with the addition of uh, Gastonia there and having more of a local rival inside your league, that may potentially uh, help either at least in the marketing department or maybe perhaps play it as, look, it's a bit of a rivalry here. Maybe it's something you, you want to come out and see. You know, it, 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 you're right. We finally have somebody who you can actually uh, you can go see us play on the road. You can uh, ad- adopt a team as our rival in the league, and nothing against the other teams. So we were the furthest south. We're like Key West is to the United States. We're so far, you know, we're far south that not everybody can identify with it. But when they get there, they love it. Um, you, you know, so in our league, that's how we were. Now with Gastonia, we've got somebody even further south, so it gives us a little something. And Dave Martin and I. Um, we go back a long way. I actually hired Dave back in 1995 with the Winston-Salem Club. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, he went on to great things from there. 
And he and I joke about uh, the rivalry. We're going to create that rivalry because he'll be able to bring a couple bus loads of folks up for a game, and I'm going to be able to bring folks down, and we're going to be able to cross-promote, which is something we didn't really have an opportunity to do with Southern Maryland, who was our closest um, league opponent. And, you know, and who knows what the league's going to look like uh, going forward. So we may have others that we would consider close by. After driving to Long Island, York, Lancaster, Somerset, any anything uh, four hours or less would be close by. Yep. And I think on uh, kind of the topic of the league in general, or at least uh, what 2021 may look like, I think, Will, you had something to uh, to add on that. Yeah, um, I want to get into the um, the whole being a partner league of the MLB first, but I wanted to touch real quickly on, on one thing you said where you're kind of reaching into um, where you're reaching into the Winston-Salem market or the Greensboro market. Obviously, there's a lot of minor league baseball in, in the North Carolina area. Do you view the Rockers as kind of competing with those like affiliated minor league markets or do you more view it as, hey, we're, we're competing with just as a night out, like with, like with a movie theater or, or something of that sort? I think you compete with both. You know, I think where we have something different is we we don't do a good enough job of promoting our level of baseball and what we truly are. You know, sometimes the word independent league had this connotation of being kind of, you know, just no like the Wild West, like you could do anything independent league. Um, what people failed to realize is the quality of baseball we have. And while we compete with others, it depends on what you want to see, and it depends on um, each one has something different. Winston and Greensboro, Greensboro's low A, or at least up until now, I don't know what's going to happen going forward. Greensboro's low A, Winston Salem's high A, and we were called independent league. You know, I'd put us on a on a double A, triple A level. We had in 2019, we had 10 guys who had previously played in the major leagues. Um, this year, our roster had several of several guys who'd played in the major leagues and one of our guys we had signed that never played for us brandon Liebrandt, uh ended up making it up to the marlins this year so you know the quality of baseball here is significant and uh that's something we've got to do a better job of promoting but you know in this industry you're always competing with alternatives you're competing with the television at home you're competing with the movies you're competing with the amusement park you're competing with um, other sports, you're competing with other baseball teams. So we've got to figure out, we've got to worry about what we can control and put together the best experience we can here and uh, and go from there. Like I mentioned before, the one thing I really wanted to uh, to touch on with you is just this, uh, the fact that the Atlantic League is now, even though they did have a partnership um, in the past with Major League Baseball, they're, they're now an, an official uh, partner league of the MLB. And I guess we've all read like the, the press releases and, and stuff like that. But from your perspective, what is being a partner league of the MLB mean, both from both from a marketing standpoint and, and from like a baseball on the field standpoint that maybe the average fan at home doesn't really understand? Well, we're, we're still trying to figure out what the whole partner uh, partner league uh, designation is really going to be. Uh, we have the press release. We have details like that. But we're still trying to figure out what it's going to mean. But I think what it does immediately, it gives 
what the the former independent leagues that are now partner leagues, it gives them credibility that they they are sanctioned, they are acknowledged, they are recognized by Major League Baseball. Um, you know, the independent leagues weren't always welcome at the baseball winter meetings and weren't always welcome at at different functions that involved affiliated teams. Um, I'd say even in our own state, people probably looked at initially when High Point got an independent league team. And the reason High Point got an independent league team, one, part of it was from a territorial standpoint, you couldn't put an affiliated team here because of Greensboro's territory and Winston's territory, so you could do unaffiliated. But, uh, you know, it's it's it gives us credibility and it gives us access to resources we didn't have. Now, where will it go? How will it grow? It remains to be seen, but I think it's a great starting point for to um, solidify the sustainability of, of what were the independent leagues and now gives us a chance to continue to go in a forward direction instead of always wondering what the next year will bring. You know, the, the major league agreement, more access to the resources of, of marketing, of, uh, of ticketing, of, um, just from a scouting standpoint, you know, all of our information being available to major league clubs easier than it had been in the past. So that's really the, the biggest thing that probably is different is we pay our players and the others don't and the others have players supplied to them and we have to go out and find our own. On that note, though, it, I think that does provide an opportunity, though, for you to kind of develop your own identity as a club. And there is a certain, I'm not sure how I call it an advantage, but certainly a certain distinction in being able to say, look, we're not putting our guys out there so they can develop and then leave the community. We're putting our guys out there to go win games and bring a championship back to that community. I think that is uh, uh, one of the key differences, too, that may be overlooked a little bit too often. Yeah, I think one thing that people fail to realize with these guys, unlike other clubs, and most other clubs, other than the AAA level, guys are on their way up. On their way up, they haven't been there yet. Our guys have been there, and they're very focused because they want to get back there. Hmm. They've been there, or they've been close to that, you know, to the to the major leagues, and they want to get back there. Um, and that's that's an ad- distinct advantage we have. You know, we do have the. The nice thing is that the players, in essence, work for us. Um, we're able to, we have players that live within the area and we bring them in for some appearances in the off season. You know, during this whole pandemic, our manager has been um, coming to High Point and staying for weeks at a time and he's been golfing in golf tournaments for us. He's been making appearances. He's been giving clinics for the community, some different things like that. So those are different things we have that others don't. And not to say it's better or worse, it's just we have to figure out what it, what we have that's unique and how do we market that and how do we present that to the community and get them to see the value of what we have. If you're a true baseball fan, this is an outstanding level of baseball. You know, we had, we had on our roster this past year, we had Mike Carp, you know, played for the 2018 Red Sox. And, um, you know, we had other players like that that, when you look at the names, you think, oh, I remember him, as opposed to with some of the other levels, what's going to happen is when the guy makes the big leagues, then you say, oh, I remember him when he was here three, four years ago. Just a different, you know, different model, but uh, 
we've got a lot of things we just need to we need to grasp as a league, accept and and market the heck out of it. Yeah, definitely there. And I think when you when you touched on the staff there too, particularly uh, your manager Jamie Keefe, uh, that's also a large part of the success. I know with just some interactions I've had with uh, various members of the High Point staff, it's always been positive. It's always been uh, something that was enjoyable. And I know uh, having every face there that has a uniform on on or that represents the community it's important to make sure that they represent the organization well and that they are active in that community and active in a positive way too and uh, Jamie Keefe, Billy Horn, uh, Frank Viola, all of them do a very good job. Yeah we've got a first-class coaching staff these guys have been have been great um, and it, that's a little different than affiliated you know affiliated you're assigned a manager and coaches and you work well with them and then they move on to the next level and they're gone. You know, these guys are year round employees for us and they, um, they give back to us continually. And, and, and they're also very genuine. They're, they're friends of this organization. You know, Jamie Keith has had a career managing in the independent leagues and we're very fortunate to have them because Jamie's not, it's not just about what goes on between the lines. It's how he represents us in the community. It's how he represents us in the baseball community with agents and with players. Players want to play for Jamie Keith, uh, you know, for Jamie Keith. And they want to, they want to be a part of his organization. They want to be in his locker room. Um, he was mentioning somebody this year that got called up and uh to the big leagues and jamie was one of the first calls he made that says a lot oh yeah to to notify a guy like that oh absolutely i I remember when he was here in rockland just about 45 minutes or so away from me and he'd always be out there doing stuff with the with the players just going to schools going to community events really expanding their brand and uh, when i saw that high point had announced that that he was going to be their manager. I, the only thing I thought was that's a dynamite hire from both the baseball standpoint and from an organizational standpoint. And uh, obviously it's continued and if anything, gotten even better at that uh, in your organization. Uh, certainly there. And uh, I do want to just almost backtrack a little bit here because you've mentioned you've been in the, in the sports industry and especially baseball for 30 plus years or so now. And I, I'm just kind of curious to know, uh, how has the industry changed over that time? Is there things that are still true when you started that are true now? Is there is the landscape just completely different? Just some things like that. Well, it's it's funny because I always joke when I started. I remember one of my first league meetings in the South Atlantic League, and uh, the president John Henry Moss was explaining to everybody that they needed to get a fax machine. Um, you know, to, because no one had a fax machine. Then it became they, it, but the one, then one guy said, we'll buy a fax machine, but we're not buying one of those modems. Um, you know, so that shows yeah. you where technology has come. But, you know, I think what's changed is a lot of teams have gotten more corporate and, um, they've gotten where it's not the local ownership group anymore. It's a corporate ownership group that is out of town or, views it strictly as a business and i understand you have to look at this as a business because that's what we are but you also have to look at it as a community entity because that's what we are as well and that's what we're we were designed for you know minor league baseball creates creates experiences kids and families have memories of what go 
go on. You need to, we can't always be corporate about it. We have to have that personal touch. We have to be genuine. And, and I've always believed that. And I think that's, in my mind, that's where it's changed the most. You know, I'm, I, I came up, my first staff I was with in Columbus, Georgia, I think we had four people on the staff. Um, and this, and right now in High Point, we're at 10. Um, we, we were at 12 when the, um, when the pandemic started. Dave Martin left to go to Gastonia and another gentleman left to, to take a job, uh, in, in, with another industry. So we've kept ourselves pretty stable at 10. But, uh, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of teams that have staffs of 20 and 30. Um, but they're also run by corporations or they're run by, by ownership groups that are in other business lines. That's the beauty of this being a 501c3. We can still be community. We can still be about the high point community. There's no risk of this team moving. There's no risk of this team, you know, folding up shop, um, because we are a community entity. So, you know, but the corporate thing is probably what I've seen change the most. And, uh, uh, you know, you, you have more people trying to break into the industry than I think ever have been. Yeah. Um, and, and that's, that's tough because you, you minor league baseball is eliminating 40 teams. That's 40 front office staffs that they're not going to have. So it's, it's getting harder and harder to find, get a foothold in this industry and stay in it. Yeah. And I mean, like you said, you need to keep the, the macro view that it is still a business. It needs to operate like that, but you, you can't lose sight of the micro day to day interactions, the everything from just the guy taking the tickets to the five year old that's going through the gate for that first time. That's, you know, hopefully going to find a love for baseball and you have to make well, sure that stays special. Well, you know, to, to just play upon that when this pandemic hit, we we had to we had to let it, we were on the verge of starting a season. Yeah. So we had to get with all of our season ticket holders, and we wanted to be transparent with them. You know, we didn't want to just send a press release that says, "Oh, by the way, the Atlantic League's delayed. We're not going to play," or whatever. So our our staff got on the phone and called every one of our season ticket holders personally, not to, not to say anything more than we're delayed. Bear with us. We will keep you posted as soon as we hear anything, as soon as we know anything. And with that being said, at the end, when we canceled, we had very few refunds we had to issue. Most people just said, tell you what, just roll it over to next year. Um, don't worry about it. Thanks for letting me know. But we, we just kept up front with them. And that's the same way with sponsorships. We kept... We kept transparent with them with the idea of, hey, we're going to let you know as soon as we know anything. And um, that paid off for us. It was the personal approach that by calling them, we let them know we're all in this together. You know, we understand. And if people hadn't paid their full amount, it didn't matter. We just said, you know what, if you, if you need it back, we'll send it back. But people understood that and were like, that's nice. But tell you what, keep it for this year, just roll it over the next year. So, you know, that's where being more community oriented and being very a genuine, you know, having a genuine, sincere approach, I think, has paid off versus the larger corporate approach. Exactly. Having that kind of personal connection where you have someone 
telling you all everything you need to hear up front and not hiding from the fact not trying to get out of anything just saying look this this is what it is we're going to keep you in the loop and let you know whenever something changes and just i think kind of keeping with the concept of just doing right by the people that you are that you have a relationship with if you do right by them they're going to do right by you too and that's something that definitely is lost and i know uh before we we start talking about this you had mentioned that it's becoming harder and harder to break into the uh the sports industry and obviously uh with the mlb or milb rather contraction of the 40 or so teams uh that's going to become even harder like you said and i was just kind of wondering because i know we do have some some younger people listening people that are either uh just about done with high school or in college and they're they may be interested in going into the sports industry field so i was wondering if you have any sort of advice for them uh, as to how to get started maybe how to stand out apart from uh, uh the rest of the field well, I think right, you know, nowadays it's so easy to fill out applications online, submit them and wait for a phone call. And I don't think you can do that. I think you have to reach out. I think you have to be in touch with people. You have to network. You have to kind of, if it's something you want to do and, and, you know, this is, this is something that was told to me years ago. If it's something you want to do, figure out how to make it happen and, go beyond what everybody else is doing. You know, everybody else is filling out the online applications. Make a few phone calls. Not everything's done through email and texting and, and that. Pick up the phone. Call some people. Um, you know, volunteer. Get involved. Don't And don't expect to start at the top right away. It's always easier when you're inside to get a better job, but getting the job, first job, is the hardest one. So... You know, get in somehow. My first job was running concessions in Columbus, Georgia. I had worked in concessions prior to that, but I had never run it. But somehow I was able to sell myself to the ownership of the Columbus team, and I ran concessions. And people said, well, you know, you went to four years of school, and you're just going to go, you're going to start slinging burgers and so on. But I got my foot in, and while I was doing that, which, you know, people realize – concessions revenue is one of your main revenue streams. I was able to see that portion, but I was also able to get inside. Then I could watch how everything worked. You know, so many people get into it with blinders on and if they're PR or broadcasting or, or, uh, you know, marketing or whatever, that's all they look at, but they need to take the blinders off and see everything that goes around them, get a bigger view. Um, and, and, and be good to people on your way up. You know, when I, when I did work concessions, I remember there was an old man that worked in the concession stand and he said to me, be nice to people on your way up because on your way down, it's the same people you're going to run into. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I've tried to remember that as you're going, as you're, as you're working through this game and you're doing it, you never know when, you know, the, the guy I hired to work sales and concessions in 1995, Dave Martin, you never know when he's going to become the COO of an Atlantic League franchise. You know, there, there's, there's things, things like that. So, you know, you just got to be good to people and be yourself and don't try to, don't try to, you know, guys coming into the industry, don't try to be somebody you're not. Be who you are, thrive at what you do, outwork at everybody. You know, another GM I worked for once told me the doors don't lock at five o'clock so you can still get out afterwards. So stay later, you know, stay later, get there earlier, put your time in. People notice it. And, uh, you know, at the end of the day, you want somebody who's going to be, there's, there's two types of folks in this industry. There's show ponies and workhorses. 
And I would rather have workhorses all the time because show ponies are only good for one thing. So be a workhorse and, uh, and, and bust your hump and, and you'll, you'll get it, but stick with it. If it's something you want to do 30 years ago, I would have never thought I'd still be doing this, but in the same sense, I did know I'd still be doing it because it's something I wanted to do. And I come to work every day and I enjoy coming to work every day. And that's what I've told people too. If you don't, then get another job. There's plenty of other opportunities for another industry or something, but enjoy what you do. Whether, whether you're a, a teacher, a, a, a doctor, a, you know, a waitress, uh, whatever, make it fun, enjoy it. And it, and it will, it will go a lot quicker and you'll, you know, you'll get more out of it. Yeah, but if you let your passion for what you're doing shine, other people are going to acknowledge it and they're going to reward you for it. And making sure your face is known, making sure that you're doing all the little things, uh, ultimately little things ultimately add up to big things here. And I think that's tremendous advice that really is transferable to just about anything, not just sports in particular. And uh, you've been very generous with your time, so I'm going to let Will uh, uh, ask anything he has left to ask, and then I have one or two other things here, and then we'll uh, we'll let you get on with the rest of your day. Uh, Will, do you have Thanks. any? What else do you have left to uh, to ask? So the the last thing I really wanted to ask is just as you look ahead, as, as you look ahead to the to the 2021 season, and and there's so much, there's still so much in the air. Do you guys have like contingency plans uh, in place if, say, the governor of North Carolina says, "Hey, you guys are only allowed. You guys can only have two thousand twenty five hundred fans." Like, how, what what is it like trying to uh, plan for a twenty twenty one season that we still don't really know what it's going to look like yet? Well, you're doing just that. You're planning for some. You don't know what you're planning for. That's what that's what's happening now. You don't know what you're planning for. I will say that the pandemic has taught us different ways to plan. And, and what I mean by that is when our season got canceled, when we were on the verge of canceling it, we were talking about partial, you know, like a mixed season with teams from other leagues and a half season. And then we were talking about our own league here um, with, you know, we, we developed four or five teams and they'd play here. So, while none of that came to fruition, it put, it planted seeds for other ways we could proceed with things. So as we're going into this next year, and like you said, we aren't we don't know what our capacity is going to be. Our capacity could be a percentage. Our capacity could be uh, it could be a percentage. It could be a fixed number. It could vary based upon how the pandemic is going, and we may not know until February or March what our attendance or our capacity could be. So. We're working on different contingency plans. Um, we're confident we will have baseball in some format. You know, does that mean we televise more games? Does that mean we, we do, um, you know, we, we do some different things with our, with our broadcast rights? Does it mean that we, um, play, you know, different, different, if, if we're not open to as many fans, can we adjust our game times? Can we, you know, could we divide the stadium into different sections and have different amounts of people in each section? We're, we're working on all of those things. And I think every team has to because we, nobody can afford to not play for a second year in a row. Um, so we're, we have to figure out some way, um, you know, we're going to play. We don't know what it's going to look like, but we've got a lot of different versions of what that could look like up our sleeve 
Tremendous. And I think uh, I do have to say this much, just as kind of a summary here. Uh, when I made the announcement that we were going to have you on the show and that we were doing the interview, it was only gave people about 12 hours to ask any questions they had, but we still had a solid five, six, seven questions come in in the course of about two hours. And that was just such a tremendous response. And a lot of them are all asking about, oh, how, how are you going to make the team stand out? How will you make the, how do you build up the brand and everything like that? And I think we've touched rather heavily on it, but it also speaks especially to the people that are fans of this team, to the community that this team has found itself in, that you have a lot of very passionate people that regardless of what 2021 looks like, they're eager to get into the ballpark and support the team uh, that calls their community home. And I think that's a, a partially a testament to how uh, you guys as an organization have done business during such a difficult time and also just how passionate these people are and how much they really want to support their community and how much pride they have in it. Well, we, you know, it's funny because we earlier in July, we opened up the stadium as a restaurant every day at lunch and we didn't know how it would work out. You know, you could come on out, have a burger, hot dog, a beer and sit, sit in the outfield seats or whatever. And it's an empty ballpark. And we have done, I, I view it as in considering the circumstances, we have done tremendously well with it. We've been open every Tuesday through Friday from 11 to two and I find people that want to come out and they just want to be at a ballpark. They just want to sit at a ballpark, the peacefulness of a ballpark and have a hot dog and a beer. We've got one couple that comes every Tuesday. They both have off from work. They both get a beer. They both buy a, a, a loaded hot dog. And they go sit in the outfield seats because that's where they sit during games. Um, you know, so it, it, it's, there's, the people here in this market are passionate about baseball. Um, you know, baseball fans are passionate in general, minor league baseball fans. And I really think that uh, it's, it's, it's shown through this pandemic how much they have missed the game and missed what we're doing. And I think across the board, when minor league baseball, major league baseball, when everybody can get their act together and we can get everything on the page and we know what it's going to look like, I think baseball – is going to have a banner year next year, provided we can have people. Tremendous. And so uh, I'll end this interview as I end all of them. I always like to give uh, our guests uh, a couple minutes at the end to uh, promote anything they want to promote, say anything they want to say. Maybe uh, you want to uh, continue on something that we may have not spent enough time on or, or clarify something that you thought needed clarifying. Uh, anything like that, uh, now is the time to do so. Well, uh, you know, I, I think the biggest thing for me is, again, I got in here in March, and I'm still trying to figure out how this – I've been in the, the market for about 25, 30 years, 25 years, and but I'm, I'm trying to figure out how this team operates. And we've got a staff here, you know, people, people wonder, wonder what we're going to be doing and what everybody else is going to be doing. I've got a staff here, my general manager, Christian Heimel, and, and, and the others – have been busting their humps to make sure that we're going to have a great product next year for the people who come here. And we will guarantee, you know, we will, we will have baseball in some form or fashion. Um, we can't tell you what it'll look like, but we're going to do the, we're going to knock it out of the park with whatever we have to work with. So, you know, we appreciate the support of guys like you that kind of give us a voice. And, uh, um, you know, I, I, 
I always pay attention to what you're putting out on social media and so on. And, um, you know, right now there's a lot of news that's going to be coming out, I'm sure. And I look forward to you guys sharing that with us. Oh, we appreciate that. We, we certainly appreciate that. And of course, this is going to be a, a very busy week for us. We got a tremendous interview now. And then we obviously got a lot of uh, big news coming out of the league that you guys are a member of. So uh, we certainly do appreciate you taking the time to do this today. Really appreciate it. And if you guys are ever down this way, certainly let me know. We'd love to have you at a game. Oh, we'd love to take you up on that offer. And I, we may wind up doing that. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, thank you very much for doing this today. All right, so that was our interview with High Point Rockers president, Pete Fish. Uh, once again, thank you, Pete, for coming on the show. We definitely appreciate you doing so. You're more than welcome to be back anytime you'd like. And uh, I thought that was an, it's a very informative interview. And I uh, that was the word I was thinking of. Yep. And uh, I've definitely learned a lot from it. Uh, I think the first thing that I immediately take away is I didn't know the team was a nonprofit. I like that is I just something, either. like that. That's something that's still like I'm still processing that that there is C five zero three. Uh, that that's something that's uh, very intriguing to me. Yeah, that 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 to me is something. Uh, and, and I know if you you think back to the interview, you can tell that I was very surprised when I heard that, and I, I really was because you really think of baseball teams as trying to find uh, any way any way to make profit. Not that independently independent league teams really do make a ton of profit and they're usually running with uh some with some pretty thin margins but it it was really interesting to hear how high point is run a lot differently than other minor league teams and that's something i i didn't really expect to hear but i think it's pretty cool because then they're, they're really only uh there to serve the community and not in the community of high point and not make a profit and i, and I think that's definitely really really cool absolutely i mean they live up to that kind of standard when you say oh we're bringing a team into this area it's going to be a community asset that's why we put them in a brand new ballpark that's why we built the ballpark and normally it's it's a lot of bravado it's a lot of fluff because it's like look it's a baseball team it's there to make money because it's a business but when it's no they're they're just there to provide an asset to the community and i mean he even said Obviously, uh, in 19, we were focused on opening up the ballpark and getting everything up and running. 20, there was a pandemic. The second we start turning profit, we're going to be donating that back into the community through charities and things like that. And that's something else that, uh, you know, it really, it drives home that community asset point, like you're saying. And I think kind of goes to what you're saying, because at one point in there, I asked, you know, you've been doing this for about 30 years or so now. And you know, I'm just curious to know what were some of the differences from when you began to where it is now. And you said, well, nowadays it's a lot more corporate and you have a lot of ownerships that aren't from the area. They don't really know the people in the area and they're just they're focused on turning a profit at any cost. And we're not like that. And the way I kind of I took how he wants to run High Point is that's a very homey feeling they want to make sure they are ingrained in that community they want to provide that asset they want to uh, keep it at a certain level where you know everyone that's in the ballpark the people in the ballpark know you and there's a lot of transparency with what's going on when he was talking about what uh, happened with the season ticket holders that when everything first started coming down 
He had the staff personally call each one and say, look, this is what's happening. We don't know what's going to be happening in the future, but we'll keep you up to date. And as a result of doing that, there were very few refunds on the season tickets. A lot of them just said, roll it over to next year. I'm, I'm in for 2021. And I think that the best way of describing how uh, Pete and the High Point organization do their business is just by simply saying they look to do right by the people that they're doing business with. They want the other party to walk away as satisfied, if not more satisfied, with uh, the interaction they had with the ball club and the organization themselves. And I think that is, uh, I think that goes to really enhance that community asset point. I agree with everything you said. I think it's it's really cool to see the fact that they're really just there for for the community and as a community asset. And it really shows when when he says that people really aren't asking for for refunds on their season tickets. I think that that really speaks to a lot of how, how the high point fan base is. Because obviously, when you start in an indie ball franchise, you kind of hope for a better. Uh, first two years that they've had of course with one being uh, a year that's completely been canceled and basically no revenue coming in at all so very little with with kickball and uh with other other things that high point was doing to try and uh to try and at least get some money in the door but i I think the and the other thing i really I, i thought was interesting is he really praised their I want to see. I want to say baseball operations staff, but I know that's not really how it works in indie ball. Just like, yeah. just like, the, just like their the coaching staff of, of Jamie Keith, Billy Horn, and, and Frank Viola. I, I, I agree. I, I've said many times on this show uh, back when we were kind of analyzing the rosters pre-COVID that we that I know you and I, Nick, both thought that the Rockers roster was probably the best in in all of indie ball and definitely the best in the Atlantic league. And I, that really just, it, it almost seemed like the, those three guys were kind of just a step ahead of everybody else pulling in guys that I'd even really know were going to play in indie ball. And I think that, I think that really just speaks to how good that coaching staff is. And, and I can, and it's good to see that, that Pete echoes that same sentiment. Absolutely. I mean, you, not only just the coaching staff, but he also was praising a lot of the front office staff. And uh, I believe Christian Heimdall was one guy he singled out in particular saying he's done a terrific job and the whole front office has done a great job. And I mean, being a step ahead is as much the coaching staff as it is everybody else when the whole machine is running well oiled. And then it's definitely going to make everything easier and the whole process is going to run a lot smoother. Uh, likewise, um, as far as t- you were saying about the first two years, uh, I do, like I always said, 2019 was a bit of a trial run for us. That's the one positive for 2020 is that we get to kind of have almost a reset year where we say, okay, in 2019, we did these things that worked, we did these things that didn't work, and these things which still could work, but we need to just do them better. And it allows them to really reflect, review, and then kind of go from there. And I think that's uh, not only a good mindset to have, but it also is a bit of an advantage. He was talking about how in like the history of minor league baseball, they only have, I believe he said about 28 years or so, of actual history of baseball in High Point compared to neighboring communities that had 
near a hundred years of that history. Right. That that is a bit of a liberating thing because you're not bound by any sort of tradition. You're not bound by any way things are supposed to be. When you're essentially starting from scratch, you're allowed to experiment and do things differently and kind of work on those innovations and changes that we talked a little bit about in the beginning. And uh, that's something that is definitely interesting to me. And uh, I do want to talk a little bit about uh, when he was saying about how High Point University is a big sponsor for us. We're using the, a lot of their sports management staff. You know, they're running, I believe he called it a task force. Although when I was re-listening to that, the word coalition came to mind where they're trying to get uh, more information from the students to see what it would take to get them into the ballpark. And I thought that, that was a, an, I'm not sure if I want to say innovative way, but it was a smart way of doing things because, well, the students are going to know what the students want more than someone that hasn't been in college for, you know, 30, 40 years. Uh, that, it just makes sense to do it that way. And uh, I do have a couple ideas myself for kind of how to get the the high point university folk into the ballpark. Uh, maybe like a freshman trip there in, you know, when they first get on campus in August and beginning of September, if you had some sort of a deal where you said, okay, well, if you want to get like a, a group trip together to come to the ballpark, we'll give you a better group rate or something like that. Or host right. some sort of a homecoming type event there with either some sort of a game there beforehand because you do have the turf field, so you you do have that flexibility that is allowed with the turf field. Or have a watch party for, say, like a high point football game or something like that, maybe a sporting event that they have beforehand, and then have a Rockers game after it in the evening. So if you have your homecoming event at, say, noon, figure that should be all wrapped up and everything by around 4 or so. That gives you enough time if you have, say, a 7.30, 8 o'clock first pitch time to get everything ready and rolling off the ground there. I would imagine that's something that is doable, or at least it's the framework of something doable. So, uh, Pete, if you're listening, feel free to steal either one of those ideas. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think I think that's a good idea. And just having a turf field, and I know we talked about this uh, with David Martin of, of Gastonia, which I really hope they announce a name, uh, their, their name soon. But anyway, yeah. uh, we, we, we did talk about how versatile a turf field is. And I think that can make a lot of those events realistic when you don't have to worry about when, when you don't have to worry about taking care of the infield and whatnot. So I, I think that'd be a good idea. Yep. And then uh, I'm trying to see because I have all my notes for everything here. And I think there's only a couple of things here I wanted to mention on the interview and really comes down to talking a bit about the fans. And now that Gastonia is there, we've talked a, a bit about Gastonia and how, oh, uh, you know, with them there now, does that kind of now close proximity rivalry, how is that going to help? And he said, yeah, it definitely helps. We couldn't really you know, form up any sort of local rivalry thing with Southern Maryland, who was our closest opponent last yeah. year. But now with Gastonia there, we can get a whole thing going. Obviously, uh, uh, Pete and uh, Dave have worked closely together in the past, and obviously now they're they're competing against each other. So that should be a fun little uh, friendly competition going between the two of them. And it definitely is going to help each organization to have someone, you know, two hours away. I mean, you saw with Long Island and Somerset for many years, you were able to build a bit of a rivalry going and have a competition there. And it obviously worked very well for each uh, team. So hopefully something like that can happen in North Carolina. 
Yeah, I agree. I think that I, the rivalry aspect, we, we've heard from both sides of it. And I think that I, I think it'd be beneficial for both sides because he mentioned, well, Southern Maryland was our closest geographical rival. But, you know, w- w- when they're so far apart, like you can't really call that a rivalry. And th- there's not really much there. But I think that it's in the best interest of both teams and, and the fan base of both teams to kind of drum up that rivalry, have some apo- road fans going to going to uh, each ballpark. I think that I'm um, not, not to say it, it would get to, it could replace like a Somerset, Long Island or York or uh, York Lancaster. Uh, Cause we, we obviously don't know that yet. And the, the play on the field is going to determine that. I think it definitely has the potential to do so, though, if they're if they're able to, to kind of play up the the rivalry right on social media and be able to, like I believe David Martin said, providing bus trips to, with their specific fan clubs to go uh, to High Point or Gastonia. I think it makes a lot of sense, and it, you could definitely see that both uh, both men are very interested in in uh kind of drumming up the uh, drumming up the rivalry themselves so i'm sure we'll see plenty of that as the season rolls around and then even peter mentioned you know he can send a dave can send a busload of people to us we can send a busload of people to him and get something going with that and i think uh, you could definitely with all the with the new scoreboards and really a lot of uh, high-level tech that they're going to have in the stadiums. You can even do fun graphics and things like that. You can have a lot of different, more creative ways of uh, of building that rivalry on top of the social media platform. So hopefully both teams wind up being extremely good right out of the gate in 2021, and uh, they play each other an awful lot for an awful lot of close games, and, and it builds that way. And obviously we know the fans of High Point are going to very much be involved I mean, when I, we put out the the information saying, oh, we're going to be doing the interview with Pete, and if you have any questions, be sure to comment them. I mean, you can even look at the post. We got a lot of questions in a very short amount of time uh, on short notice, and that clearly speaks to the fans, and he was saying how, you know, we opened up uh, the outfield in the ballpark so fans could go and they could, you know, buy a hot dog or a beer or whatever and just kind of sit in an empty ballpark and enjoy lunch. I believe he said from Tuesday to Friday. And he mentioned the one couple that just would sit in their outfield seats with a hot dog on Tuesdays. And they just seemingly came like every week. And I think that speaks an awful lot to the kind of fans and the type of people they have in High Point where, you know, you're circling back to where we started this conversation they understand this is a community asset. This is something of value to their community and they take pride in the team because the team is taking pride in the community. And I think it's really been well received, even if the attendance from 2019 doesn't show that. I think that that really does shine through just in the little interactions here. And I think if you give them a 2021 season that hopefully won't be too impacted by COVID, but even if it is, if you give them a clean slate, if you allow this team in the front office and on the field to run things the way they ideally would like to, a ballpark up and running, a team that is ready to compete on day one, and everything is the way it should be, so that way they have a clean start, I think you're really going to see an organization and a team that just takes off and goes to another level this year. I think it's interesting because it's so 
it's kind of hard to determine a lot of things about a fan base after year one. And of course with the, with the pandemic in, uh, in, in year two, I guess if you want to call it year two, you can, but I know, especially as a guy who's on, uh, who's on social media a lot as well. It does seem like, like there are a lot of, uh, passionate rockers fans. And I think that bo- that's definitely going to bode well when, I mean, hope um, we obviously got a lot of, good news as far as a potential vaccine this week in which we could have a mostly, I guess, a mostly normal 2021 season. And I, I think that you would think the rock, the, like the attendance numbers would improve. Uh, I, I certainly think they will. It's something you, de- you probably have to see in year two. I, I don't think you could, uh, I think you definitely have to improve on their attendance numbers from year one so it's going to be interesting to see if it does once the pandemic subsides it's also going to be interesting to see if people if attendance is down across the league if people are hesitant to go out and that's something i guess we don't really we don't really know until it comes yet and i think that you you hope for the rockers sake that everyone's like itching to get back out there and go, go back to minor league baseball games. And that could, that could help out the rockers in a big way. Absolutely. I think that's why I almost give them, I give them this year too, if they stay where they're at from, you know, uh, 2019, I think that's fine too. Plus you have to keep in mind that you're probably going to still have some sort of a restriction wise. And there's going to be a lot of people that go, I'm not comfortable taking the vaccine yet. So when you factor in a lot of different things, I give them this year, or if they just get back to 2019 numbers, I call that good. And then in 2022, if we see the spike of uh, in attendance that I think we're going to see, I, then that confirms to me what I what I figure, which is the fan bases it wants to get back out there. They're eager to get involved, and I'm like I said, I'm extremely curious to see how that attendance will rebound because I think it's a, it really is just a matter of time before the, the attendance comes up. Uh, yeah, I agree. And then there's one other thing I, I just remember that I do want to touch on. I love how nobody really knows what this partnership entails. Yeah, like we I only, know. We only know that there is, there's a really strong marketing component to it, but it seems like we keep asking people and it's, we don't really fully know what this partnership contains yet. Which I I can't tell that speaks to Major League Baseball not telling anybody what this is, or if this is the Atlantic League needing to sort something out, or if it's just we only have a framework that we agreed to, and we're just kind of filling in as we go along. It, it certainly is mysterious, though. I will say that much. Yeah, it, it, you're right. It's definitely it's definitely weird that we don't really get that nobody really seems to know a lot about about this partnership with major league baseball other than you're right oh cross promotional marketing opportunities which might be the most vague term in the history of vague terms so i i think that only time will tell as far as as the mlb partnership but maybe it could be really just as minor as yay you now have an mlb you can slap an mlb logo on things and we can tell you what to do so i I don't know i I think that 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 could be a possibility especially with all the movement we've seen from independent leagues into affiliated baseball and we'll start to see the other way around coming up here pretty soon as well i really would like to know more information which is why i i definitely want to keep asking 
like what this partnership really entails because i mean the press release didn't really give you a whole lot uh and we really haven't got a whole lot else to this point and it's kind of just guesses and hypotheses to try to try and figure out what 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 this partnership really entails obviously beyond the the rules the the rules partnership with the atlantic league and major league baseball just in gen, just talking about the 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 other partnership that just being a partner league in general i guess we don't really we don't really know what that entails and it seems like the people uh the people who are running the franchises aren't really 100 percent 100 sure what that entails either yeah, it's something that's very curious, and quite frankly, this is one of the motivating factors, among many, that I want to get like a Rick White type on the show, so that way we can kind of get a better breakdown of what the hell is actually happening with this partnership. Because like you said, for as much as we know, it could just be you're able to put an MLB logo around your stadium and on your schedules and things like that and try to, you know do a lot of little things here and if it's just a bunch of little things then how valuable is the partnership really i assume it's more than that i assume it's going to be oh no we're gonna you know be able to put mlb alumni or something at these games or we're gonna promote them on the mlb social media or something along those lines or like we talked about uh, about a month or so ago now uh, maybe we could finally get that in inner indie ball championship type thing, indie ball world series, if you would. I guess is the better way of describing it, but uh, time will only tell on that. And hopefully, we get some clarity on that sooner than later. And likewise, hopefully, we get the affiliation business sorted out. And with that, we will segue to uh, the Somerset news, but. Just quickly, again, I want to thank Pete Fish for coming on the show. We certainly appreciated you coming on, and we'll be more than happy to have you back on again. Uh, Likewise, we go to Somerset now, where, uh, of course, once again, after we finished recording last Friday, we have, uh, you know, a lot of news that comes out, particularly around Somerset's, you know, affiliation with the Yankees now. And uh, to get everybody up to speed, in case you missed this over the past week, uh, reported on Friday, the Trenton Thunder and Staten Island Yankees would no longer be affiliated with the New York Yankees. I believe Charleston, too, is no longer affiliated with them, but uh, that right. really doesn't matter for uh, our purposes right now. Somerset and Hudson Valley were going to be taking the Thunder and Yankee Staten Island Yankees' place. And uh, I can think it's safe to say that neither of those two teams being uh, in Trenton, Staten Island, were very pleased at that arrangement. They were, in fact, uh, very displeased, as you could tell by their statements, which I'll, uh, I'll give you some of the highlights of in just a second here. But both teams were offered a spot in the Atlantic League, two in which Trenton called that during one interview a consolation prize. Or as they put it, I believe, we don't want a Constellation League team, as the uh, Thunder put out on November 7th. So oh, when this news came out, it was, quote, Last night we learned through the media that the New York Yankees management had made the calculated and ungracious maneuver to leave the urban setting of Trenton for the affluent confines of Bridgewater Township, leaving one of the finest f- facilities, according to Major League Baseball, without affiliation. Despite repeated assurances that the Trenton Thunder would remain its AA affiliate over the last 16 months, the Yankees betrayed their partnership at the 11th hour 
By doing so, the Yankees have misled and abandoned the Thunder and the taxpayers of Mercer County who have invested millions of dollars over the years to ensure that Arm & Hammer Park remains one of the premier ballparks in America. Uh, as you could tell, the rest of the statement is similar to that. Uh, I'll link the full statement in the show notes if you want to read it. And as you could tell just by the uh, Thunder statement, they're extremely annoyed at this. Some would say they're pissed off that this has happened. And uh, if what they send their statement's true, that is certainly a bad look on the Yankees. But uh, uh, I think I've said enough for the time being, and I'll uh, turn it over to the resident Atlantic League expert to fill in any of the gaps I missed there. So, obviously, losing Somerset is tough for the Atlantic League, but I think uh, I, I think at this point we all kind of knew what was coming. Uh, it, it became pretty apparent over over the last couple months that this is this was where uh, Somerset was headed after uh, after it was first reported by by Bob Nightingale of USA Today and Baseball America, and it it became very obvious that this was what's going to happen. Some some people thought that oh maybe they're just using it as a leverage against Trenton to try and get them to upgrade their fields and <clears throat> to upgrade their field and whatnot. But apparently this was real and this is what happened. So I, I I've spoken at length before about how obviously losing losing Somerset hurts the Atlantic League. So I'm not gonna go too much into that again. Uh however as far as the Trenton statement, no, first first of all, nobody's asking the owner of the Trenton Thunder to be jumping up and down that, that yeah, I get to go uh, maybe go play go to independent ball instead of being a double A affiliate of the Yankees. Like no, no one's asking that. No one's accept, no one's asking you to be excited about it. Nobody's asking you to again not not be angry about it. You 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 should you should be angry. I understand why they're angry because. Of course, and, and when you look at it from the from the point that I believe their owner brought up about the taxpayers of Mercer County, again they're paying taxes about on that ballpark with the assumption that hey that's a double A affiliate of the New York Yankees that brings people into the community from surrounding areas. I know I live forty like roughly forty forty five minutes from Trenton, and I still head down there all the time to go watch just to go watch some double A baseball. So I can speak to the fact that. It, it it really brings people into that community. However, I think that the statement was very it was obviously very strongly worded, and I find it hard to believe that the Yankees just didn't tell them anything, and that they just assured them. Oh, that they assured them time and time again, saying you're, you're going to be the double A affiliate. Don't worry, you're not going anywhere. And then boom, that's it. Just didn't happen. I don't think that's true. I, I I think he's lying because with the news of that magnitude, I can't see why the Yankees would not keep them informed throughout that whole process. And I think that putting that in the statement is just trying to is just really trying to to help with their PR essentially. And and I know a lot of and a lot of other sources denied what uh, a lot of other Yankee sources that have been written about in other articles that they've they've denied what the trend owner said that oh this just came out of nowhere and I agree I can't see that being the case especially with the case of Staten Island I'm sorry if you thought Staten Island was not going to get cut I don't know what to tell you like th that that might the writing was on the wall even 
even if nothing, even no, if nothing changed with the minor league baseball landscape, there was no way Staten Island was was going to stay. I I, I find a, high, a hard time to believe that Staten Island was blindsided by this. Uh, I I just find a very I I find it very hard to believe. But but back to Trenton calling the Atlantic League a, a consolation league. I mean, it's pretty disappointing. And of course, you want to be affiliated in, instead of independence. Everybody does. I mean, Somerset would have been just fine staying in the Atlantic League. St. Paul would be just fine, as they always are, staying in the American Association, as well as Sugarland uh, with uh, with the Atlantic League as well. Of course, they'll be fine staying in that in the Atlantic League. But of course, they will make a lot more money, and their attendance will probably go up. And they don't have to, and and they don't have to pay players or coaching staff uh, at all. And I believe, I believe clubbies as well. The MLB team would take care of. I think that it's a no-brainer for teams to move up if given the opportunity. But I also don't view the 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 Atlantic League as some consolation prize. I I just think that that view of indie ball it's outdated. I don't think it's accurate to uh, I don't think it's accurate to the facts on the ground. I think you could make an argument that uh, the Atlantic League is very is very comparable to double A baseball, if not better. Uh, of course, I don't expect uh, I don't expect the Trent Thunder owner to know that he clearly doesn't know very much about independent baseball at all. And you can say that the Atlantic League is a consolation league all you want. But I feel like his attitude is going to change if no, like I know the Trenton mayor said that the Red Sox and the Mets have been in contact for pretend and could potentially put an affiliate in Trenton. So we'll, we'll see, I guess we'll see what happens on that front, but if nothing happens and Trenton, the Thunder are either faced with Atlantic league or nothing, I think their attitude is probably going to change a little bit because you're either going to make some money in the Atlantic league uh, or you're going to make nothing. And that that's up to you. So, and I don't think the taxpayers will be very happy about paying taxes on an, on a ballpark that sits empty during the summer. So, I think that his attitude will change on independent ball if it becomes if it becomes his only option. And one other thing, as far as the Yankees choosing it, not because of the facilities, it is because of the field. I mean, Mike Ashmore's tweeted pictures of what the field looks like at the end of the 2019 season, and it was not good at all. And I mean, when Aaron Boone says that they don't want to send guys to Trenton to rehab because the field is in such bad shape, I think that tells you everything you need to know. And you could, and well, their owners, and when their when their owner was presented with this, he said, "Well, we we offered to fix, we we offered to fix whatever the Yankees wanted us to fix." Yeah, but that's never going to be an issue in Somerset. Not to mention the attendance will probably go up in Somerset as it was pretty good already as an Atlantic league team. I know, I know for a fact that uh, as far as see, the, the interest in season tickets for Somerset is a lot higher than it usually is. And the, they're, they're going to have a great season attendance wise next year. I, I'm full, fully confident about that. Uh, but and, and I think I, I feel like he was just saying stuff that wasn't necessarily true that tried to make people, feel bad for Trenton, and I do feel bad for Trenton, but I think, for example, saying that, oh, they just left because this, because Somerset is, is more affluent and they're leaving the diverse community of Trenton, uh, like, you could kind of read between the lines there what he's saying. I don't think that's true. I don't think that's true at all. 
I, I think I don't even think he believes that. To be quite honest with you, I think that their owner—I I really don't think their owner believes that—and he's just saying that um, to get so he can get more airtime and so to try to help their PR a little bit and maybe get another affiliate to come to town. Although I don't really think that affects much as far as another another affiliate coming to town. I don't know if Trenton will be in the Atlantic League next season or ever, but I do think that. In general, his attitude is going to have to change if that's his only option. Uh, a lot to unpack there. <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, but I'm just going to try and pick a place and dive in. I will say this much. I do believe to an extent that the Yankees kind of broke off communication with them. There's just no upside to keeping them in the loop about this. Because think of it like this. If I'm telling you... We're almost certainly leaving because your field is just straight trash, which I do agree. The field is not good at all. And uh, at first I can go, well, they could have, the Yankees could have just said, uh, fix your field, we'll stay. But then when you, you did bring up a good point in that, look, Somerset's never going to have that problem to begin with. And I mean, let's be honest here. The Califers are way more interested in being affiliated and having a New York Yankee logo on that ballpark than, uh, anyone in Trenton ever has just it's just the way it is we all know this it's not anything new there so it's very clear the Yankees are going to ask for something and the answer is going to be how high in Somerset that much said I do think that they did wind up cutting off communications come September I think up until then they were saying don't worry about it you're fine don't worry about it, you're fine don't worry about it, you're fine and then in September once that agreement expired it became oh okay then well you know while it would be wrong of us not to do due diligence. And then I think they left it at that. And then I I don't think they found out through the media. I'm not sure if I believe that. I believe that the deal was agreed to in principle with Somerset. And at that point on, say, middle of the week, Wednesday, Thursday, before this comes out, I think they probably call over and go, look, we have an agreement in principle with, a, with another organization to move the AA affiliate. Uh, it's primarily based off of the field, and then there's some other factors you can't control, and that's all there really is to it. And there's not really much you could do in the matter. We just wanted to let you know now before it got before it uh, came out in the media because we know it's uh, some people have this, and I think that's what happened here. And I think the same thing happened in Stant Island. Although I think, to be fair, Stant Island knew this was coming down the pipe. Uh, obviously, and I think the Sports Illustrator article that we have linked in the in the show notes did say that there, like you mentioned, are conflicting reports on that, that some are saying that the Yankees told them that this was coming. I think regardless of that, as far as Staten Island's concerned, uh, their name was on the list to begin with. They kind of knew the issues that they faced. And with those issues, they were never really going to be sticking around for really anybody. Maybe if they can do something to improve that situation, then maybe one day that changes. Maybe they go from independent league ball, and we'll spend some time talking about Stan Island in just a minute, but maybe they, they have a shot again. But I think Trenton will wind up being affiliated with someone. I think it will wind up being on a lower level. I think it's more than likely going to wind up being Boston because we saw the Mets release their affiliate list, uh, and that does include uh, both their high A and low A teams. And we saw right. that Binghamton's actually going to stay, which I know is much to our chagrin and to a lot of people in the Atlantic League's chagrin. They were definitely targeting Binghamton, uh, certainly. And then Brooklyn, surprisingly, is staying put as, I believe, their high A or it could be their low A. I'm not entirely sure 
off the top well, of my head. Well, I think head, we, it would have to be high A because low A, there, there, isn't a, there isn't a league. There's not a league in the Northeast uh, for low A. I don't think it's been determined if Binghamton and uh, what if it's either Binghamton double A, uh, Brooklyn high A, or vice versa? I don't think that's been determined yet, but I do think it's de- it's definitely uh, definitely high A. Okay, so then they they had the high A there. So either way, they uh, there's no real place for the Atlantic League to steal. That's the main point there, and there's no real slot for Trenton to slide into. Uh, that's really the main the point here. And uh, yeah. regardless, I could see Boston doing it, but at the same time. I think they have enough options in the New England region that they're going to be able to pick someone a little bit closer. So I still do believe someone will wind up taking Trenton. I think it's too appealing of an idea not to. I will say uh, the statement uh, between the various articles, I forget which one it was in, but it is linked in the show notes. Calling the Atlantic League a consolation league before you have another dance partner is not exactly a great move to get you off on a, on the right foot should you wind up with nobody because you have to imagine that we're going to know within the next 30 days how this affiliation breaks down and teams need their schedules those have not been released they're about a month behind now and if those don't come out soon uh, there's going to be a lot of a lot of sales staff and a lot of team ownership structures that are going to be going, where's the schedule? We need to start selling stuff when we can't sell stuff if we don't have a schedule. Agreed, and, yeah. And so that needs to be determined fairly soon. So it's going to be interesting to see how that all breaks down there. I do want to just quickly touch on the, the Somerset versus Trenton. It's no real surprise to anyone that's from New Jersey or anyone that has Google that uh, Somerset is a wealthier area. There's just no way around that. Uh, Trenton is not exactly the the best neighborhood. It's a lot poorer of a neighborhood. It's a bit more, I guess, unsafe is the best way of putting it. There's areas of Trenton that just are not safe to be in. And so it's a lot harder to get people to come in and say, oh, well, I'm fine being in Trenton at night as opposed to being in Somerset at night. So from a Yankees decision... I, I understand why they did it. There's a higher opportunity to get more money out of this. It just is simple business that a wealthier area, a safer area with a ballpark that serves our needs just as well, if not better. And it's about the same distance away, roughly, as far as rehabs are concerned. Yeah, of course, you're going to make that decision nine times out of 10. And the one time you don't, it's there's something lying under the surface that nobody knows. As far as Trenton's concerned, I 110% agree with them with being annoyed. And I totally agree with their statement. And I don't think they would be going totally off the deep end here and risking a potential libel suit just so that way they could try and, you know, get back at the Yankees or improve their odds of getting another affiliate there, which I don't really think that that kind of a statement helps your odds at all. Uh, just simply because if I'm looking to affiliate with someone, I want a double A team or lower, and I go, well, after this whole divorce happened, if we need to, you know, separate ourselves from this organization at some point, are we going to get the same treatment and are we going to have the same right. press around this? And, you know, it's better off just to pick someone else. So I, I do think that a lot of that was just, it was either a little exaggerated from what it was. I don't, like I said, I don't think they found out through the media. I think they found out like a day beforehand and they didn't really have much time to scramble to come up with something or 
come up with a way they wanted to handle it. I think it was just kind of dropped on their doorstep. But I do think 100% the Yankees cut off communication to them. And when they reached out to them, they either just got a filler answer like, oh, you know, we're just doing due diligence. Don't worry about it. Or something to that extent. I I don't think the Yankees handled it in the best way. I just, there's something about it that just rings that to me. And again, I don't fault them for making the decision they made. I just think they could have done it in a better way. Likewise, I don't fault Trenton for being annoyed. They have every right to be annoyed. Hell, they should be annoyed. I mean, they, their organization, their operations just got a whole hell of a lot harder. Either they need to scramble to find a new affiliate even before they didn't think they needed to, or they now have to hump it on the Indy Road, which obviously they, I don't really even want to get into calling the Atlantic League a Consolation League when in reality, it's probably on par with a lot of leagues like the Eastern League, if not better quality. And it to say it's some sort of Bush League, like the implication is it's just wrong and it diminishes everything that people in that league do. Uh, moreover, though, I'm not going to sit here and pretend like it's an easy life in the in the independent leagues. No, it's hard. Things are a lot more, you know, make or break. You have to pay players. You have to pay your staff. You have to come up with a lot of other things. And you don't have the angle of, look at all these shiny prospects to drop people to the ballpark. You have to just bank on them saying, I want to watch guys that want to win as opposed to, I want to watch prospects. And that's not always the easiest thing. And like I said, it's not easy to get people to go into Trenton at night from a surrounding area. You're banking on the city of Trenton coming out to ball games, and if that area is not doing well economically, that's not exactly the best wager to make, and you're putting yourself in a position like Nork. So they really do need that affiliation, and I totally understand why they're annoyed. But at the same time, I don't agree with the with the Constellation League statement, and I do think they may have exaggerated in their in their press release at least. Not to mention, not not to mention, Nick, if. Let, let's say they don't get an affiliate and uh, and, and let's say the Atlantic League's their only option and they'd be whether they begrudgingly join the Atlantic League or whatever. Let's let's say they do. Let's say they've been offered a spot. They they don't really have another place to turn. So they go they say, All right, fine, we'll 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 join the Atlantic League. Now, after you just told your fans that the Atlantic League is a consolation league. Now you got to turn around and say, "Oh no, the Atlantic League is great. It's it's a, it's a high quality of baseball. Uh, it, it's awesome. It's fun. They're playing to win, dude. You just told your fans that it, it, it's a, it's some crappy league with a, with a bunch of no names and washed up guys. Like, how are you gonna, now? How are you just gonna? How are you gonna approach just like completely reversing course and then going going back and trying to sell tickets to your fans? That doesn't really seem like a a smart idea to me. It isn't. It's you're mixing the branding, you're mixing the messaging, and that's just not a good idea. Plus, I'm not sure how you wind up going back to the Atlantic League with your tail tucked between your legs after something like that. You're gonna walk into the same, I guess it'd be the same Zoom meeting nowadays as every other owner and Rick White and everybody in that league. I mean, I can only imagine after you called the, essentially Frank Bolton's creation a consolation league, and really did imply that it's just some bush league that doesn't know what they're doing. You're going to walk into the same meeting as him. I can't imagine that's going to be tension free. There's going to be underlying tension there, uh, regardless yeah. of whether or not it exists. I mean, it's awkward. And you then know if you're the Atlantic, like, look, these guys are looking for an out. They want out at the first bit here. 
So you're not really likely to help them out at all. And you don't really trust them at all. And you're just banking on them leaving. And quite frankly, at this point, I obviously you would still want them, but you just, you do question that decision of, do I really want these guys in here? They're not in it for, you know, league. They're in it because they need somewhere to play for a year and then they're going to bounce out to somewhere else. So it is certainly, uh, an interesting, uh, situation there i do want to jump on to stan island though because that is something that uh, does need to be addressed certainly and uh, stan island statement is similar to the trenton statement i do have it ready here uh here was what the stan island yankees had to say about this and then once we finish talking about stan island we'll get to the somerset angle of all this for the pat for 22 years stan island yankees have developed talent for the new york yankees and provided affordable family entertainment for our stan island fans on saturday stan island yankees learned that the team will not be offered a new york yankees minor league affiliation moving forward it appears that our fans will be unable to see future yankees play in the play in our borough major league baseball is making sweeping changes to the player development structure of professional baseball fewer teams will exist in the new system and we hope to be a part of that system but the yankees chose to affiliate with hudson valley renegades located in fishkill new york to host their class a advanced team the Staten island yankees made every effort to accommodate major league baseball and the new york yankees requirements including securing commitments from the new york city for ballpark upgrades However, Major League Baseball and the Yankees chose not to engage in any discussion with us. We were unaware of this final decision and learned about it by reading statements on Yankee social media. And then he just went on to say 2020 was a difficult year for the community, for the Yankees who felt the effects, or Yankee uh, employees, Staten Island, that would be, felt the effects. Uh, and then they talk a little bit about the founding of the ballpark and things like that. Uh, but you get the main point of this. Again, they say they were blindsided by it. Maybe they were, but at the same time, you knew you were on the cut list, even if they told you you were safe. When you know you're on the cut list that got leaked, even if they say, don't worry about it, this part of your mind has got to be going, no, no, I should be very worried about this because how safe am I really? And again, like, if it is true they found out officially through social media, Real messed the way of doing that. You don't do that. But yeah, again, uh, but again, like I think they got a call about 24 hours before and going, look, we got a deal in principle with somebody else. Thanks for the years of service. Best of luck to you. We're not leaving you out in the cold, though. Here's a shiny Atlantic League team for you. Yeah, I, I think that, again, if, if you... You can't honestly tell me, as the owner of the Staten Island Yankees, that you didn't that you didn't know this was coming and you were stunned. Now, it, now the the one thing that does intrigue me is getting a, uh, I guess that they claim they secured some sort of agreement with New York City, uh, the New York City government uh, to help with some ballpark upgrades. I I like to think that's true, how and I think it needs it anyway. However. When you're drawing 1,800 fans a night as as an as a Yankees affiliate, I, I don't know if that's the best case to make to to uh, to the city saying, "Hey, we we need we really need some money." They're gonna they could easily be like, "Yeah, but your attendance dwindles every single year. Why would we 
Why would we make that investment in you? And I think I, I completely understand why the Yankees wanted to move on, uh, wanted to move on from Staten Island, despite how ideal the, the location is for rehab assignments and other stuff like that. I, I think that especially a league like high A where you're really where those guys that make high A, you're, you have a lot of prospects there. I don't really think that those the facilities in Staten Island are really what you're looking for. Uh, so I, 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 I understand the decision by the Yankees. I, I think now that you say it, Nick, I, I, I do kind of, um, I, I do kind of side with you in the sense that maybe they didn't keep them in the loop the whole time, but I, I find it hard to believe that they were scrolling through Twitter one day, saw the Yankees social media and were like, Oh, look at that. We're not an affiliate anymore. How did that happen? I, I, I don't, I don't think that's something that happened. Uh, I'm sure. I'm sure you're right that they got a call and said, "Hey, this is what we're doing. Thanks, bye." I think it now, from the Atlantic League perspective, they're they weren't so much offered a spot. They were kind of offered a spot. They need to secure some sort of ownership group that could very well be the current ownership group of the Staten Island Yankees. That part hasn't come out yet and that's the stuff they're trying to work through uh so pen I, I really do believe that staten island will be an atlantic league team next year however i don't know how this is going to be sustainable long term just because the ballpark is in dire need of upgrades like dire need of dire need of upgrades um and if they're able to secure the money to do that that's great but then they also need attendance to improve. And despite the quality of baseball, the, the talent of the talent level of baseball being much higher uh, in the Atlantic League than it is in the New York Penn League, I think that that's obviously true. However, without that Yankee logo, is your attendance going to improve that way? I, I don't I, I can't see it improve. It rarely ever it rarely ever improves when that happens. I guess the most prominent example of that being the New Britain Bees when when the uh, when the Colorado Rockies decided to move their affiliate uh, from New Britain to uh, down to Hartford in a brand new ballpark down there and kind of left the bees uh, to fend for themselves. They went to the Atlantic League and as we we all know, uh, despite Frank Bolton taking taking ownership of that, uh, as we mentioned with Pete Fish, when you're not a local when you're not a local owner, it's kind of it, it tough. I mean, he's also running the Long Island Ducks. Uh, which mm. probably took up a lot of his time. And the, again, the stadium was falling apart and eventually the Atlantic league said, yeah, I'm sorry, we can't, we can't really do anything with this because obviously nobody wanted to take on that as, as an ownership group. So I think that I think Staten Island could potentially face those same issues. I do think they'll be in the league next year. I wonder how that, I, like, I can't imagine Rick White, being super excited about Staten Island coming in. You wonder if that was asked maybe by the Yankees or the MLB, like, Hey, can you offer them a spot? I don't know. I don't know if the, their partnership, uh, if their partnership will work like that. However, I bet, I bet that's part of it though. I, I'd imagine it's part of the thing here because remember in a lot of these press statements, it goes, look, we're offering a place for all these teams that are unaffiliated now. And each of the partner leagues have essentially said, yeah, we're looking to expand. That is true. Yeah, I, I think that I think the MLB must have had something something to do with that then. But I it, it historically hasn't worked out. 
moving moving in, uh, an Atlantic League team into a um, into a, a team that has dwindling attendance and a kind of a stadium that really needs repairs. It historically hasn't worked. I don't know if it's going to work now, but I, I, I guess if uh, if they are brought into the league, they definitely deserve a chance, and hopefully they can improve on their attendance a little bit somehow. I think that'd be, that'd be great for everybody, but unfortunately, I, I'm not overly confident that's going to happen. Yeah, Stan Island's not going to be a mainstay in the Atlantic League, just full stop on that. They're, they're not. They're not a long-term option there. I highly doubt New York City is going to toss them money when there's no affiliation coming along. If the ballpark isn't is in as dire straits as it would appear, uh, then that's just not going to last very long. You can't draw with the Yankees affiliation in the middle of Yankees country. Then I got news for you: you're not drawing when you don't have them. Unless you're unless every single time a Yankee prospect is released or a former Yankee becomes available to be put in that ballpark, and you're getting, like, I don't know, Mariano Rivera to manage this team, you're just not going to see any sort of increase in attendance. It's not really sustainable, and uh, it's unfortunate because the ballpark is, at least I think, has a nice view of... Uh, it does. It, it, it definitely does. Yeah, so, I mean, like, it ha- it has its benefits to it. Location, it should work. I mean, like, Staten Island has enough people where this should work, but it, it just isn't working out for whatever reason, and uh, I just, I don't see any way where that changes in the near future, so I just don't expect to see Staten Island uh, as a mainstay in the Atlantic League. I think it's partially, like you were saying, with part of the partnership, I think part of the agreement was, as we've seen numerous times over, oh, don't worry, these affiliated teams that are getting caught, they're going to have a place to go. It just so happens that you now have a partnership in place with each of these three leagues in indie ball that are well regarded. You're calling them partnership league teams now. And on top of that, we know the American Association is looking to expand. The Frontier League's been looking to expand before all of this happened. And the Atlantic League put out a thing saying, we're looking for new teams, not five months ago. So it definitely makes a sen- It makes sense that you go, oh, well, what do they all have in common? Partnership League. They're all looking to expand. And we know there's going to be a bunch of teams getting cut in territory that would be considered Frontier League and certainly Atlantic League. And then ones that are, are west of the Mississippi, you toss those to the American Association. Of course, you're going to have some teams like uh, Lancaster and Fresno. Or Fresno's just going to get bumped down a lot. Uh, Lancaster, California, they're going to get cut probably. So teams like that and maybe uh, Rocky Mountain, uh, they're going to get cut and they're probably going to wind up in the Pecos League. But even still, though, it makes a lot of sense that that's part of this deal. And I just... I got to imagine that's that's part of the reason why the Atlantic League is going to say, okay, we'll take Staten Island. And also because I think at this point, they just need to get to a certain number of teams and they need to get a schedule out because it's getting really dire for them. Like I mentioned a little bit ago, uh, you're missing out on Thanksgiving and Black Friday sales right now. You're going to start missing out on your Christmas sales. And those are large chunks and an already revenue depleted year that you need. And I have to imagine for at least some of these teams, they're going to be in regions where they're not going to be able to go to full capacity on day one. I'm sure they're going to get there at some point in the year. But if let's just even be 
optimistic and say everything's back to normal on June 15th, being optimistic. That means you still have all of May and half of June, six weeks worth of games where you're going to be playing in front of a partial capacity crowd, which is going to hurt your revenue. And then you're still going to have some people that are not going to be comfortable going back out and getting to that full crowd level again. Or people that were saying, okay, I'm comfortable in limited capacity, but not full capacity. So you're probably not going to be getting back to your averages until 22. You'll have more revenue in 21 than you had in 20, but that's not saying much. So when you factor in all of these things, I just can't imagine Stan Island's going to be able to exist. And I just, I, there's so much of this that when you add it up, I don't see Stan Island being around. And I'm just seeing that the Atlantic League needs to get this schedule out. They need to get the ball rolling because teams, they have a limited uh, income future as far as the near term is concerned. They had no income from the past year, really. And you have really your golden cow opportunity here over the next six weeks to make a lot of money or at least as much as you can really hope to in the off season. And if they're not given that opportunity via having a schedule, it's going to be kind of hard to sell, you know, a partial game plan, a full season plan, things like that. It's, it's a lot more difficult when there's no schedule in place and you don't know when there's going to be certain events, you don't know when you're going to be able to go to games and everything like that. It just, life becomes easier and more doable with a schedule. And you can move around that. You can have certain uh, promotions and whatnot that people will want to go to. And when you have everything scheduled out and you're able to actually form your plan. And also if you're running these ballparks like in Gastonia, it makes you, like you want to start booking things for dates where you're not hosting a ball club. And that's a lot harder when you don't have a schedule. Now, at this point, I think they're just saying, screw it, book whatever you can. We need dates filled and we'll just work around it. But even still, this is another element to all of this. Yeah, I 100% agree. I think that I think the Atlantic League is probably just going to take Staten Island just so they can fill a league this year and get schedules out. Because you're right, they, th- these these teams need a schedule. They need to sell tickets desperately, and that this needs to come soon. And, and the longer that the the uh, MLB continues to drag their feet and not and it like trickles out a little bit, like you're just you're killing everybody. And so th- th- these decisions have to happen soon. And I hope they happen maybe this weekend. I don't know, but um, but the, these decisions need to happen soon. And I think as far as Staten Island, I think you're right. I think it's just, they really, they, they know it's going to be bad, but they just gotta, they just gotta do it for a couple years or however long it takes Staten Island to go away. And, um, and, and they really just need to get a schedule out. So I, I agree. I think that's the motivation there. Absolutely. And so let's talk about this from the Somerset angle real quick, uh, which I think we've kind of covered. Uh, being affiliated yeah. is going to help them out a lot. It's a good ballpark. It's a great community around that ballpark. Uh, their expenses just went down tremendously in a year. Like I was just saying, there really wasn't much revenue for them. I can't imagine their uh, NJ Blasters series there really brought in the big bucks. Uh, yeah, I but, don't think it did. Yeah. So you're going to be getting your coaching staff paid for. You're going to get your roster paid for. You're going to get a lot more promotion now being affiliated with the Yankees. And again, a really, really heavily pro Yankees county. 
and it's going to definitely help them out an awful lot. I want to say this really isn't that shocking, just simply because it was talked about for a couple of months now. They've obviously had close ties with the Yankees in the past. Uh, see Joe Torre, see Willie Randolph, see Sparky Lyle, see just how much the Califers really are uh, ingrained in that kind of Yankee culture. Also, I mean, they had uh, they had uh, Nettle's son play for them for quite some time as well. It, like I said, none of this is really that shocking that it happens. Obviously, this has a huge effect on the landscape of independent league baseball and the Atlantic League especially. We've said numerous times in this show, you can fill Somerset's spot, but you can never replace the role they filled and what they brought to the league. And uh, that's going to be something that Rick White and company is going to have to figure out and figure out fairly soon to just try and find another tentpole franchise and find a way to replace the, the what Somerset left. And I don't think it's ever going to be fully uh, doable, but it's going to have to be something we look to see in the future. Yeah. Uh, listen, I think the Atlantic League will be fine. Uh, I think th- I think they'll be fine in the future. Uh, of course, you, you c- you're not going to replace, completely replace a Pillarstone franchise like Somerset, and they'll probably have to replace Sugarland as well. Uh, but th- I think they'll be fine. I think um, I-, I think come five five years from now they'll be they'll be totally fine with uh, really with eight mar- eight or ten or twelve markets that are that are ingrained into the league. Maybe they expand some more. I don't know. But I, I really do think that they'll be fine. And from the Somerset perspective, it- it- it's not surprising. It- it's great for them. I mean, their attendance is going to be it- when whenever they'll probably sell. Uh, as many tickets as they're allowed to, pretty close to that number for, I'd say, probably every weekend during the season. Uh, the weekdays, they'll probably do well uh, also. I think it, it, it it's it's a great day for the Patriots organization, and you can't really you can't really fault them because the, the, the group over there really deserves it. Obviously, it sucks for the, the coaching staff, and like Brett Jody and John Hutton, who I'm sure – uh, if they can want to continue coaching in professional baseball, they can easily get a job. I wonder if Brett Jody is uh, potentially interested in the Gastonia job, since I know he uh, I know he lives in South Carolina. Uh, I'm not uh, that. That's just me speculating. I wonder if that I wonder if that uh, could be a potential option there. But I, I think that, and not to mention, and also the the players like your Scott Kelly's, your Yovan Gonzalez's. Uh, the guys who really Justin Pacioli, who look forward to coming back to Somerset each season. Obviously, they need to find um, a, a new place to play, or maybe not play at all. We don't we we don't know yet. But uh, it, it's not great for everyone, but for the organization and, and for guys like Mark Schwartz, uh, who's been been a great broadcaster for a few years now, quite a few years now with the Patriots. Now he him getting a chance to be a broadcaster for a double A affiliate. Maybe this is his window to work up to the major leagues. I don't know. But uh, it's it's great for so many members of that front office there, and the Patriots did confirm that their front office will be exactly the same there, which is which is obviously great. I, I'm I'm it, I'm very happy for them, and they're definitely going to have a lot of success uh, in, in the Eastern League. That's for sure. Yeah, I, I definitely I definitely agree with that, and I mean I do feel bad for a lot of the coaches, the coaches and the players, like you were saying. I think Brett Jody now just shoots to the top of Dave Martin's list. I'm not sure if that's just something he was expecting to uh, have fallen to his lap but I gotta imagine 
he is now a prime candidate. I mean, he's up there with Kevin Baez, we know now. And uh, well, we don't know that Brett Jody's going to be on that list, but I got to imagine Dave made a call. He's a smart enough guy to at least inquire about this. And yeah. I mean, he checks every box. We know that. I mean, he's a winner. He knows how to build a culture. He knows how this whole league runs. He's a great face for the community. And he he certainly has the experience, and it's good experience at that. So I have to imagine his name's now on a short list somewhere. And yeah, if not, if Brett Jody is interested in that job, he should get that job. Hundred percent. Oh, no doubt about that. I mean, like the the like really any Atlantic League opening, you have to imagine him and John Hunter at the top of the list there. I mean, they're they're prime commodities now, uh, but more so i do want to touch on the players i do feel bad all the guys you mentioned plus many more i mean there's a lot of guys there that you know they kind of understood that look i'm never going to get to the majors i'm probably not going to have my contract purchased i'm probably going to wind up playing in the atlantic league for the rest of my playing days but that's okay i'm i'm cool with that it's perfectly fine by me and now they the you made that plan and now that plan's got uprooted and i mean like I don't think that Somerset should have not done what they did. I mean, obviously, it's for the benefit of everyone in that front office, everyone that's involved with the team that's going to be kept on. Obviously, it helps the team, but it is a bit, it is unfortunate and it is sad for the players that, you know, that built the career on Somerset. And now, if they want to keep playing, they have to go somewhere else when they never thought that that would be a thing that would happen, which, to be fair, it's independent league baseball, it's minor league baseball. That's always an extremely real reality. And uh, it still is a bit sad for that. And other guys, I mean, they're just going to have to say, you know what, at this point, I might as well just hang them up. And it's unfortunate that's the way that some people are going to wind up ending their career, especially after a year where there was no baseball. You know, yeah, it's just an unfortunate reality there. So, uh, yeah, I agree. Yeah. So uh, with that, uh, we are running extremely long on this and I'm just going to leave it as one giant two hour block. So enjoy listening to that, folks. So I figure I'm just going to keep going here because I do have a couple other things I do want to touch on here. We'll touch on it briefly because nothing's new. Or there's no news on this front, really. Uh, I think St. Paul and Sugarland are expected to be the next ones to fall. They should be getting affiliated sooner than later, I would say. Uh, the Twins informed Rochester that they won't be renewing their uh, affiliation with them on the AAA level. They're going in a new direction after 18 years there. And I think that's essentially telegraphing the Saints move is just... It's all about it's just about done. Uh, supposedly, yeah, it is. The, supposedly the paying up here is the twenty million dollar fee. But if Minnesota wants St. Paul, they could just pay the fee for them. Like that's yeah. not the problem. Uh, yeah, I agree. I think it's going to wind up being like Minnesota pays about eighty percent of that fee, twenty percent of it's so whatever it's, that math works out to probably like four mil or so. Uh, the Saints pay, and I think that's going to be that. Yeah. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how that shakes out. Uh, that will also be another, uh, you know, huge shakeup in the indie ball landscape. Two of the original kind of independent league teams are now going to be gone from the landscape. And that's obviously going to affect the American Association an awful lot, too, especially after having Texas fold earlier this year as well. Um, then Sugarland, there's no real news one way or the other on that front. So we'll have to see how that winds up shaking out. Uh, but I do expect for them to announce that probably today, just because, you know, we already recorded a two hour show and I can't throw a cut in on a two hour show. Um, yeah. Although I will say one thing of note, 
the the twins also checked in on on uh, Sioux Falls and Wichita as well. So, uh, wouldn't that be funny? Out of all, it would be kind of funny though if out of all these teams, Sugarland's the one that's like, nope, we're gonna stay independent. Yeah, <laughs> that would be that. I would be stunned. Like that would honestly, like what would be even funnier is after we trashed the idea of oh they're not going to the American Association that would make no sense. If they go to the American Association, stay oh, independent. Goodness. That that would that would be that'd be something else. That'd be peak twenty twenty is what it would be, but it really would be. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I expect uh, I expect some news coming on coming on this fairly soon. And also, I saw one thing saying that maybe Southern Maryland, but uh, uh, their GM Mitchell, they, she said that no, we have not had any conversations with either the Nationals nor the Orioles or any team. We're open to phone calls though. Uh, but we have not talked to them. We're happy with what we what we're doing. So uh, I just want to toss that in there too. Yeah, I, I think I think for Southern Maryland, it, it's definitely a nice facility. I think you could. I think it's a mildly caliber facility. However, I don't think they have the attendance and the location isn't really great either. Uh, so I, I think those two things are kind of working against them. So I I, I would. I 100% expect them to be in the Atlantic League next season. Uh, absolutely. I just don't I don't think at this point that they're at that level. I, I could see maybe down the road, but I also think there's enough affiliates nearby for both Washington and Baltimore that they don't really need Southern Maryland right now. You know? Yeah, I agree. So uh, last thing on the dock, and we'll be fairly quick here, uh, but it is worth noting, uh, there is a Facebook American Association deal. So... What this deal is, is announced on Tuesday, the American Association will stream a game a week on Facebook. It totals for 16 total games. Uh, every home stadium will be featured in the American Association on this streaming thing. Uh, from what I can gather, it's similar to uh, what Major League Baseball did in the recent past by having uh, one Major League game on their streaming service so the american association is doing the same thing now it'll be good for their exposure but the most important thing i got out of the press releases that we know when opening day is for the american association and that is may 18th and their season will conclude on september the 6th so we know this for a fact now they will play 100 games and we still don't have a word on the schedule in that league yeah yeah, I think I, I think that that's a good idea. It's a good idea as far as um, obviously they're they're going to play a full season. I think everybody is. I don't think you can afford to cut down the season uh, of any length at this point. But uh, the, the the showing one game on one game a week on uh, on Facebook, uh, it's a it's pretty pretty good idea. I, I think that that works. Yep, I think it's good too, and uh, it's great for exposure too. That's the main thing. You get a lot of exposure out of putting that on Facebook, and hopefully we'll introduce this to uh, some people that didn't know it was out there. And uh, at the very least, it'll add some credibility too, and I imagine this came about uh, in some part to Major League Baseball's, uh, you know, influence in all this with the partnership. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how that winds up shaking out. There's not really much substance to this one. It's just something of note that I thought would be good to add in there. So, uh, with that said, I think we can kind of just get to the plugs and the end of show procedural. Uh, I do want to remind everybody that the Q and A episode is coming up. It is now about 
a month and 10 days away. We're recording that on December 23rd, so be sure to continue to bring your questions in. We already got two questions. In fact, one of the questions we got, I think we touched on a lot of it today, but we are going to go into more detail on that Q&A episode should it, those questions still be uh, relevant as well. And I just want to let both of the people that emailed me their questions know I did get them. I didn't respond to your email, but I did see them, appreciate them, keep them coming in. Uh, with that, I don't think there's anything else really left to plug. That said, you can find the show on Instagram at AOPB underscore news or at IndieBall Report. You can find us on Twitter at IndieBallPod. You can find the show's uh, show notes, episodes, really everything about the show on uh, on our website, the IndieBallReport.com. And then you can also uh, find the show itself wherever you find podcasts. So tune in Stitcher, Podomatic, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, uh, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music. Uh, we're available really wherever you get podcasts. So uh, with that said, I don't think there's really much left to add. Uh, and uh, with that said, nothing left to add. You know the drill. Uh, don't forget to play ball.